some of the things that you hate. For me, personally, I hate going to Walmart. And no offense to anyone that loves it, but I avoid that place like the plague. And if I have to go, it's in and out as quickly as possible. Thank God for Amazon. I also hate traffic. I cannot stand traffic. I try to avoid the big cities as much as possible. I hate robocalls. I put my name on the do not call registry, but I still get them. And I hate peas. I don't understand how anybody could put something so disgusting in their mouth. And I hate when someone, the sound of someone biting on a popsicle. Is it just me? It just goes right through me. Love and hate. So what are the things that God loves and what are the things that God hates? It's pretty important for us in relationships to know what the other person loves and what they hate and try to avoid the things that they hate. And sometimes it's a little confusing because we're taught, you know, God is love. Does God really hate anything? Because hate is such a strong word that we avoid in our culture today because of its negative connotations. We teach our kids, don't use the word hate. No, you don't hate Sally, you just dislike her actions. And it's hard for people to imagine God hating anything. But in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning with verse 16, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, or pride. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to do anything that God hates or is detestable to him. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want on Santa's naughty list, and I sure don't want anything to do with something that's on God's hate list. Because in relationships, we don't want to do something that the person we love hates. Because when we do, what it does is it creates a distance from that individual. And that's, about, that's the, what we're going to talk about today. Have you ever felt a distance from someone that you love? Like a distance had grown between you. Have you ever felt that distance from God? Maybe someone you love died, and you halfway blame God for it, allowing it to happen. Maybe you had a falling out with somebody close to you, and you've put up walls to keep everyone out, including God. Maybe you feel stuck or stagnant in your life and your relationship with God, and it feels like you're just spinning your wheels. 
Maybe you're burned out. Maybe you're sitting there this morning seeing other people worshiping God and connecting with God, and it feels like to you he's a million miles away. If there's one thing that God hates this morning and that I want you to leave with is when there's distance between us and him. It says that in Revelation 4 and verse 11, it says, Worthy are you, Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. He created you out of his own will to have a relationship with him, and he loves you. That's why you were made. That's why he started this whole thing. And the Bible says that he would come down into the Garden of Eden in the very beginning, in the cool of the evening, and walk to the garden and talk with Adam. And they had a relationship. And we all know that the devil and a third of the angels had rebelled against God. And as a result, they were expelled from heaven. And the devil quickly realized that there was no way that he could defeat God wasn't going to happen. So instead, he attacked the one thing that was most important to God, and that was his relationship with us. By enticing man to sin, he caused a great schism, a great expanse, a great distance between God and man, because God hates sin. But ever since that day, God set into motion a plan to reconcile man back to God. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, And I will put an enmity, he's speaking to the serpent here, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Who is he speaking about there? There's the first messianic prophecy of Jesus and the sacrifice that he would make to restore the relationship between God and man. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 says, All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast and all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. From the very beginning. When man sinned, God made up his mind that your relationship with him was so important that he was going to send his son to get it back. That Christ would be the bridge, the repairer of the breach. And it would make us Christ would in his sacrifice as if we had never sinned so we could once again walk with God in the cool of the evening. So what creates this distance from God? First of all, our sin distances us from God. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 through 2, it says, Behold, the hand, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God hasn't lost hearing. 
God can still reach down. But it is our sin that's created the distance between us. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, very familiar passage of Scripture. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means every single one of us, me, the people who sang and played music, the person next to you, the people behind you, everybody, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God did not send his son to condemn you, but to save you. In John chapter 3, in verse 17, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God hates sin. But just as much as he hates sins, he hates what sin does to our relationship with him. Though Christ, through Christ, he made a way for your sins to be washed away so that you could once again have a relationship with him. That mankind could be reconciled back to God. Now I'm speaking from a man's perspective here. Because it's the only thing I can relate to. But how many men have ever said or done something dumb and made your wife angry? Nobody? I'm the only one? Two? And something she hated. And suddenly her arms cross. Her forehead wrinkles. She puts up a wall and she isn't talking. Nothing seems to help. No matter how many times you say sorry. There's a distance between you and her. And how many's ever seen Men in Black? I've never seen the new one. But I know the old one, they had a device that looked like a pen that you could press, and it would wipe the memory of whoever you're pointing it at. Sometimes I wish I had one of those. Are you still mad at me, honey? No, I don't know what you're talking about. But can I tell you this morning that Jesus is that device? When you ask Jesus into your heart and ask him to forgive you of your sins, God remembers your sins no more. They are gone. In Psalms 103 and verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so, he does, not, so does he remove our transgressions from us. Does anyone know how far the east is from the west? It just keeps going, my friend. It never comes back. Micah 7 and verse 19 says, And he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. If you drop something into the depths of the sea, 90% of which is still unexplored, it's not coming back, my friends. It's gone forever. Hebrews 8 and verse 12 says, And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never, this is God speaking, I will never again remember their sins. It's gone. God's never going to say, you remember back in the 90s when you went out and had a wild night with your friends and what you did? He's never going to say that because when Jesus forgives you, all he sees is the blood of Jesus Christ. 
and the sin is gone. You are set free. And suddenly that sin that God utterly detested is gone. And it's like you've never sinned. And he scoops you up in his arms and he says, where have you been? I've been looking for you. Your sin is gone. We need to deal with our sin and not cover it up. Because it's not just the loss that out, that's outside these four walls that are struggling with it. But it's each of us. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27 it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but inside you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. On the outside, so many of us act like we've got it all together. Like we're so close to God, we say all the right things. We pray all the right prayers. We put up a front, but inside... We're dying and feel so far from God, so many of us. Matthew 15 and verse 18 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Is there a distance between you and God this morning? What happens is when our desires for the things that God hates. When we desire them, it creates a distance from God that if we're not careful, can turn to sin and a total abandonment of our relationship with Him. In James chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Remember, I read in Proverbs chapter 6, we talked about the list of things that God hates. If our desires are consistent with the things God hates, our natural state, the way we normally think, it's at odds with the way God thinks. It's a part of what God hates, and we're naturally bent in that direction. What I'm trying to say is, our carnal fleshly nature is naturally inclined to, the, to desire the things that God hates. It's a sinful nature that we have. When we walk in our flesh and we allow our flesh to call the shots, we will find ourselves miles downstream wondering how we got there and how to get back. Our desires, once it conceived, gives birth to sin. And then sin, once it's full grown, gives birth to death. We need to confess our sins. We need to be accountable to one another. We need to crucify our flesh, put aside our fleshly desires, submit ourselves to God, to his word, and to his spirit. In James chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In Galatians 5 and verse 16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. 
and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit also against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There's a constant battle within us between our flesh on one hand who desires the thing God's, God hates, and our, the spirit on the other hand that desires to please God and to do the things that he loves. And in order for us to win that battle, we have to be able to submit ourselves to God, crucify that flesh, put it to death, and live in the Spirit of God. Don't allow your sin to distance you from God. But that's not the only thing that can distance us from God. There's also another thing, and it really pertains a lot to us as Christians. No matter how long you've been saved, our complacency can distance us from God. Complacency is a self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. We're satisfied with who we are. We're satisfied with our relationship with God. We allow our relationship to become stagnant and moss-covered. Only a, a, a piece of what it once was. The first love is gone. The zeal is gone. The passion, the sense of urgency, it's gone. Proverbs 1 and verse 32 says, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. Complacency can destroy relationships with others and with God. We tell God, God, I'll get back to you as soon as football season is over. God, I'll start praying with you again as soon as I finish Ben's watching this Netflix series. I don't have time to read the Bible and pray, but I do have time to spend three hours scrolling through social media a day. I don't have time to go to church because my kids have too many extracurricular activities. Complacency and sin are especially dangerous because it's like putting a frog in boiling water, in uh, cold water and slowly heating it up. Because we won't notice the danger we're in until it's too late. The further you get from God, the easier it is to accept sin. Because when we get distance from God, suddenly those things that used to be vile and sick and repulsive to us aren't so bad anymore. We kind of befriend it. We put our arm around it. And now we kind of like our sin. We could begin to hold on to it. When before those things were detestable to us, we must call sin what it is and recognize what is on God's hate list. What we do is we love it so much that we'll give it sugar-coated names. You know, it's just a little white lie. When actually you lied to your boss about how many hours you worked. <clears throat> or we say, oh, 
I'm just having trouble getting into God's word. When no, actually what it is, is you've got something in your life that's more important than God. That's what it is. Or you say, it's just a little flirting at work. It's completely innocent. Nothing's going to happen. But the truth is, you want that woman more than you want your wife, and you're spending way too much time with her. We need to call sin what it is. What you used to hate, you now kind of like. What once was abominable to you is now kind of the end thing. How did we become so distracted and so complacent that we have allowed the things that God hates to become acceptable in our, in our lives and in our homes? No wonder God seems so far away. Philippians 3 and verse 8 says, Indeed, this is Paul speaking, Indeed, I count everything as a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul said the things of this life mean nothing to me. The most important thing in this life is Jesus Christ and my relationship with him. In one version of scripture, it says, I count them all as dung, as garbage, in comparison to my relationship with Jesus Christ. We must get to the point where our relationship with God is number one, our number one priority again, where nothing else matters. Paul said there's nothing better than knowing Jesus Christ. There's no sin and there's no distraction worth giving up that relationship with him. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Revelation 3 and verse 15, here Christ is speaking to the seven churches of Asia. And he calls one out and he said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. He said, I wish you were one or the other because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich and I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing, but you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, Blind and naked. He wants you on fire for him. He wants you, 100% of you. He wants you to wake up in the morning. The first thing you think about is your relationship with him. That's what God is looking for. He said, if you're going to give me this lukewarm, wishy-washy will, I'll go to church if I have time. I'll pray if I have time. I'll read the Bible if I have time. No, he wants you to make it a priority. He said, otherwise, why even bother? And then to another church in Revelation 2, the church of Ephesus, beginning in verse 4, he said, but I have this one thing against you. You do not love me as you did at first. Remember how you once loved me. Be sorry for your sins and love me again as you did at the first. Because if you do not, I will come and take your light out of its place. 
I will do this unless you are sorry for your sin and turn from it. We must, once again, love what God loves and hate what God hates. We need to wake up from our trance and become alive in Christ again. We need to get our priorities straight and begin pursuing God again. We need to rekindle that first love that we had and align ourselves with God's Word and with God's Spirit. There's times where Jess has said to me, she said, well, why don't we hold hands anymore like we used to? Why don't you open the car door for me like you used to? Why don't you open the, the doors at the restaurants for me like you used to? What happened to that love we had when we first started dating? What happened to that passion? What happened to the pursuing? What happened to our relationship with God? Where he's just, we just become, he's just an old friend. He's no longer a priority. If they could come to the instruments, I'm going to say, have you ever felt distant from God? The answer is yes. We all have felt distant from God. Me, you, the person next to you, everybody at one point in our lives has felt distant from God. And if you feel that way today, there's one thing I want you to understand. If you feel distance from God, he is not distant from you. The devil wants you to make you feel like you're the only one that feels this way, but really there's a lot of people in Scripture who felt that way as well. In Psalms 1 and verse 10, David said, Why, Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Maybe you've done something that's caused you so much guilt that has caused distance between you and God. Peter emphatically insisted that he would not deny Christ, and Christ said, no, you will deny me three times. And there, standing outside the court, he denied knowing Christ three times, and the rooster crowed, and when he saw Christ... And seeing what he had done, he wept bitterly. Imagine the distance he felt from God in that moment. Even Jesus Christ, as he hung upon the cross and took all our sins upon him, in that moment he cried out, Eli, Eli, Lema Shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so distant from me? You may be distant from God, but this morning he is not distant from you. Acts chapter 17 and verse 27 says, They that seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is not actually far from any one of us. No matter where you go, to the highest highs or to the lowest lows, God is still there. No matter how great things are or how bad things are, God is still there. 
Psalms 139, David said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is light to you. Paul said, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor presence, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Me and Sister Helen were talking yesterday on her steps, and she reminded me of the scripture. She said, they will, they will find me, God said, if they seek for me with all their heart. He's right there, church. It seems like a million miles away from God, but really you're just one prayer away from Him. You're just one conversation with Jesus from bridging the gap. He sent His Son so that I could be made clean. And my desires that were bent toward things that God hates could be renewed. As the scripture says, and I be, can begin to have a mind that thinks on things that are pure and noble and right, that I can have a different kind of life. And when I feel distant from God, I can know that God is not distant from me. Because what is it that God hates? It's that distance between us and Him. When you heard I was preaching about hate this morning, did you think I was going to browbeat you about all the things that we do that God hates and about all your shortcomings? Well, Jesus said, I've got to have it all together before I can do that, before I can cast the first stone. It all comes back to love, church. He loves you so much that he hates that distance between you and him. It's time that we rekindle that passion. It's time we wake up from our complacent slumber and truly and wholly surrender our lives to Him. As they sing this morning, if you're here this morning and you feel a distance between you and God, He's right here waiting. Christ already did the work for you. He created the bridge. All you've got to do is walk over it. He's already provided the way for you to be reconciled to God. All you have to do is accept it. Whether you are lost and have never known the love and the relationship with Christ, or whether you have become complacent and distant from God, and you need to rekindle that passion this morning. This altar is open to you. Matter of fact, I want to be the first one down here. Because my relationship is not what it once was. 
My love for God is not what it once was. And I want it back. I don't want distance between me and God. I want to stay in His presence at all times of my life. If you're here this morning and this message is speaking to your heart, I'm going to ask you to come and pray. I'm going to open this altar. And we've got people here that will gather around you and pray with you. Dear Heavenly Father, as I pray, just come. Dear Lord, I am sorry. I am sorry for everything that I made a priority in my life above you. God, I'm sorry that I was so busy serving that I neglected to kneel at your feet and just spend time with you. God, I'm sorry that I've lost my first love. That I've no longer pursued you like I once did. Sought you like I once did. And I want that back this morning. If you agree with me, these altars are open.